grateful to have uh, Reverend Jim Wilkerson here with us this morning. If you, uh, if you look over here, you'll see this piano. And so I'll tell you about a very in- interesting phone call I got uh, like very early into us starting worship was from Jim who said, hey man, we've got this uh, piano over here. Uh, if you're interested, we'd love for you all to have it. And you may not know this, but when you plan a church, people try to give you all kinds of stuff you don't want. <laughs> so like, they had, I mean, people tried to give us more pianos than you could ever imagine. I've, there's actually been four different pianos that have had various lifespans here in this building um, that we've been able to give away. Uh, but Jim said, no, it's, it's, a, it's a baby grand piano. We'd love for you to have it. And I was like, I remember, I remember talking to Gregory and just being like, what do you think? And he was like, yes, it's a yes. There's no... No, what are you doing? Call him back now. And so, uh, yeah, that's just a short little uh, example of the heart of the man who, who saw a church trying to start out, had a kingdom mindset, and said, let's, let's help him out a little bit. And so we're very grateful for that. Uh, Jim, is a, uh, he is part of Mission to the World now, which is our global uh, mission arm. He's part of the U.S. operations here, focusing specifically in the southeastern area. So he is going to be helping us coordinate our own Uh, missions ministry team here as we begin to look strategically at the globe and putting points of emphasis into our own body as we reach out. Jim's going to be helping us with that. So again, I'd remind you, if you're interested in serving on our missions ministry team, if you go, you know what, that's an area where I feel like God could use me. I'd love for you to circle that little word missions. If you missed the opportunity and already by some chance already turned in their your tear off, that's fine. Just come up to me and be like, hey man, I want to be on that list and I'll I'll write your name down. It's we're, We're pretty low tech around here. But anyway, I, Jim's going to come and share with us now as we close out this series. We've been looking at our place and God, God's global mission. So <clears throat> come on, Jim. Go ahead. Sorry, make you stand all this time. Um, this is my wife, Noelle, up here. Um, we've been married almost 34 years, and um, there's a couple of our children here you might know. Uh, I don't know if they're here, though. I'll call them out. There's Peter and Samantha, his wife. So we've got a few grandchildren here as well. And then Rose. Where's Rose? Rose over there. Um, so we're probably better known that way as uh, Peter and Samantha's parents, Rose's parents, um, and the grandparents of Charlie and Walt and Amos. So we're glad to be with you this morning, though. Thanks for giving me this opportunity um, to be with you. And um, I just want to ask you if you have a, a copy of God's Word to s- take it out and turn there to Acts chapter 1. And, um, and if you don't have one with you, I think there's some in the bottoms of the seats there. You can turn there. Um, Acts chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verse 1 through 11. So why don't you stand with me as I read God's Word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come as the same way you saw him go into heaven. This ends the reading of God's word. O Lord our God, your word is true in all of its parts. Sanctify us in your word of truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, it's... My aim to talk to you about the fulfilling of God's mission. And the main idea here this morning is this, that the fulfilling of God's mission is accomplished through the ascension. The fulfilling of God's mission is accomplished through the ascension of Jesus Christ. God has a mission. God's mission is for His kingship. To be represented to the ends of the earth everywhere. And so the church has a mission. The mission of the church is to fill the earth as God's representatives. Demonstrating his kingship to the ends of the earth. Albert Chim, missionary to Cambodia says that God does not have a mission for his church. God has a church for his mission. And therefore, the ascension of Jesus Christ is essential for the fulfillment of this mission. That's what we want to look at this morning, the ascension of Jesus Christ as being necessary for the mission. We see it in verse 9 here in this text. That when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Luke records the same thing in his gospel, in his first letter to Theophilus, in chapter 24, 51, that while the disciples were there gathered with Jesus on the Mount of Olives, there this cloud enshrouded Jesus and he was lifted up and taken into the heavens. This is the ascension of Jesus Christ. We confessed it earlier in the Apostles' Creed saying, 
That you believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He will come to judge the quick And the dead. In the ascension of Jesus Christ. God takes everything that Jesus is. And everything that Jesus has done. And detonates it in the life of his church. It goes off like a power. Like dynamite. To fulfill the mission. He takes what Jesus has done. And he releases it. This is why. When the leaders of Israel saw. James and John and the other disciples. In the temple area in Jerusalem. Early on in the book of Acts. And they said. These ordinary unschooled men. Were recognized as men who what? Who had been with Jesus. Why? Because there was such power. There was such authority. It's why later in Paul's ministry. They are said to be as those who are turning the world upside down. Because God was taking what Jesus had done. And he was detonating it in the life of his people. His church. What would be the use of you having prepared starting yesterday this beautiful meal that you worked on yesterday, you got up early this morning, we're putting, its finish, putting the finishing touches on it, getting the house ready for hospitality to bring everybody in, then you decided, nah, let's just don't invite anybody. What's the point? Unless you invite the people in to the table that's set and spread before them a feast. You see the ascension is the explosive power of God. Of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in the life of His church to fulfill His mission. To fill the earth with His representatives who demonstrate that His kingship extends over all the earth. So that's what I want to address this morning. The ascension of Jesus Christ. What it is. What is its nature? What does it do? What is its effects? And how do we respond to it? So what is the nature of the ascension of Jesus Christ? What what is it exactly? It's, It's a relational power. That's what it is. It's a relationship of power. In verses 9 through 11 here, we see Jesus ascending into heaven. We see them on the Mount of Olives and there this cloud comes and took him out of their sight. This cloud represents the very presence of the living God. It enshrouded Jesus and it took him out of their sight. So Jesus was taken Out of relationship, it would seem, with his disciples, his apostles there on the Mount of Olives. Out of his relationship with his church. Into a relationship that he prayed that the Father would restore him to. The glory that he had with the Father before the foundations of the earth. But he wasn't 
taking away the relationship. He was establishing the relationship. This is not space travel. Jesus is not being taken up in this cloud up into the heavens so that as those we send out into space can come back and report to us, yes, there is a God. We saw him up there in the heavens. No, it says repeatedly here in verses 9 through 11 that he was taken up where? Not into the heavens, into the skies, but out of time and space into heaven. That is Figurative language that is referring to the throne of God, to the reign of God, to the place of his kingship. That's where he's going. So that one of the most often quoted Old Testament texts by the apostles in their preaching that's recorded for us in the book of Acts is Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I, all of your enemies become your footstool. What is he saying? He's saying that Jesus by the death and resurrection and now ascension has come into this place to reign as king over all that is, that he has made. And his reign is from his throne out of time and space over everything, over the entire universe that he has made. And his footstool, his feet are where? In the earth, among his creatures that he has made. Until all of the enemies of his creatures and all the enemies of his reign are put under him. So his ascension puts him directly in relationship to all that he reigns over, especially his church. That is why he reigns. So that everything that he is, is related to everything that you are, as one who lives by faith in him. If you do not live by faith in Jesus Christ, in his life for you, in his death for you, in his resurrection and ascension for you, then he is in relationship to you as a king who is your judge. Whose wrath is against you every day. Against your unrighteousness as in your foolishness. You reject the knowledge of him. And do not live by him by repentance and faith. But if indeed you have come to him in faith through his grace. Turning to him with your sins and recognizing that he took your sins upon himself. That he was crucified for you. That he was raised up for you. That he has ascended for you. Then he is for you in relationship to you by his ascension. A powerful king. The Lord is my shepherd. Yes, he is. His goodness, this king of love his goodness fails never. This is why the Apostle Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 1 that he wants the church to know the power of God towards them. What kind of power? The same power that raised Christ from the dead, that, ascend, that caused him to be ascended into heaven, that gives him the rule over all things so that you'll know what? In Ephesians chapter 3, the great height and the depth and the length and the width of his love for you. It's relational. But it's a relational power. 
You remember after the resurrection of Jesus, maybe there, there's a story where Jesus has appeared to after his resurrection and Mary sees him and Mary tries to take hold of him. You remember that? And, and Jesus says, don't take hold of me, Mary. I don't know if when you read that you go, oh, what's that about? Is it taboo to touch him? Obviously not. He goes into the upper room where his disciples are, or a place where his disciples are after the resurrection. He lets them stick, his, stick their fingers in the holes in his hands and the holes in his side. He sits down and has meals with them during these 40 days. I mean, it's obvious that it's not that touching him is taboo. There's more than that. He's pointing to his ascension to say to Mary, you'll have more of me than you could ever imagine when you have me in my ascension. In power, Mary. You notice the disciples are there on the Mount of Olives and they're staring up into heaven. They're gazing up into heaven, verse 10, as he went. Why? Because they've lost him. They've, they've determined that, that all is lost now. The question was, is at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, it's not for you to know the time. And then he goes off up into the heavens. And yes, we're gazing because we just lost him. We thought we had him after the resurrection. Now he's gone. And these angels say, no, go back. He told you to wait in Jerusalem. Go back. The same way he's gone, you're going to see him coming. And they do, according to Luke's gospel, they, they go back. According here in, in Acts, they go back. Why? Because in verse 8, there is a promised power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When you go back to the place that I've told you to, to go and stay, there the Holy Spirit will be sent to you from the Father and the Son, and you will receive power. You will be clothed with power, he says in his gospel. His rule. You know, when we look out at the world, it breaks our hearts. We, we look at Ukraine this weekend or this morning, and it breaks our heart. But that's just plastered before you. I don't know how globally minded you are, but if you look every day at one of the continents in the world, at what's going on in that continent of the world, beyond whatever your screen feeds you, but if you are actually looking on your own and researching on your own, there is enough for your imagination every single day that would just break your hearts. But Jesus has ascended. And there he wants us to imagine. There he wants us to gaze upon his grace where he's related to us with his power where we are His related representatives demonstrating His rule over all, even in suffering. Yesterday I was at the gym for a swim and I was changing my clothes in the locker room and I overheard a conversation on the lockers on the other side from where I was. A guy walked into the locker room and he's like, 
just running his, just spouting off, running his mouth about, you know, why in the world, who do we think we are to be involved with Ukraine? Are we some superpower that should have something to do with all this? And the other guy that he was talking to was commiserating with him and they went on about, yeah, we should just leave all that well enough alone. That's not us. They don't need us, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, I was in a meeting earlier in the week with John Edie, Idy, and others, missionaries and national partners from the Ukraine. And I was listening as Bob Burnham talked about taking his family across the border into Romania and then coming back into Ukraine himself to go up to Lviv, further, one of the furthermost western cities in Ukraine where they're expected to have more than a million refugees. As you've seen, people traveling that way, waiting in these long lines. His wife and children in Romania. He's in Lviv. Why? Because Jesus has ascended. That's why. Because the coin dropped. You see, power creates and sustains our relationship in Him. That's what it is and that's what it does. It affects our relationship. He says it here. It will make us witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's what the ascension does. They're asking, is it you And is it at this time that you're going to restore Israel in verse 6? And notice that Jesus doesn't deal with the question about restoring Israel. He deals with the question of time. He says it's not for you to know the time that the Father has has directed. That the Father has... There were times even in Jesus' ministry where he didn't know the time. But notice he turns it upon them. He says, you in verse 8 will be my witnesses. When, when? When the power comes, when the power of my ascension is released by the work of the Holy Spirit, while the power of everything that I've done for you is released into your life, then you will be my witnesses where? Everywhere. You will be my witnesses, yes, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Everywhere. I know Andrew, and what's your name? Adam, sorry. Brain fog. We've talked about this issue that in Acts 1.8, this is not a command. Do you pick up on that? He's not telling them to go do something here. He does that elsewhere. But here, this is not an imperative command. This is an indicative. This is saying, this is the effect of my ascension. You will be my witnesses in your words and in your life everywhere. Everywhere. In other words, the effect of the ascension is not the program of the church for global missions or local missions. The effect of the ascension is to make you God's representatives to the ends of the earth by demonstrating His kingship over all. 
What does that mean? It means that when Bob Burnham is in Lviv and he's giving out water and trying to care for these many refugees that are coming and he's speaking to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ, these people are hearing Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Who preached to them? We're talking about Gentiles in Ephesus. Jesus didn't, wasn't there to plant the church in Ephesus. Remember, Paul set up shop for a couple of years to do that. But Paul says, it wasn't me you were hearing. It was Jesus. That's the effect of the ascension. In chapter 4, His word has a power to liberate. This is why he says in verse 20 and 21, not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And we insert prepositions there in our English translations that shouldn't be there. Not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard him. That's what it should read. Not about him. You've actually heard him. So he's the witness. You're the representative of his witness. Demonstrating his kingship to the ends of the earth. This is why Paul can say that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God to save those who are perishing. And that same gospel is the power of God to liberate those who are suffering. This is why Paul would share not only his words, but his very life as well. He makes his appeal through his representatives, witnesses of his true liberating gospel. You see, the scriptures are not about me, they're not about you. The scriptures are not some inspiring stories to make our life better or to give us a better understanding of how to live. The scriptures are not information for us to to gather for ourselves so that we are smarter and more culturated Christians. The scriptures are about Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus takes a couple of his disciples on the road to Emmaus and he tells them everything about himself from the scriptures. Later on in that same chapter, he says that he explained everything about himself from the law, from the Psalms, from the prophets. The scriptures are the power of the gospel. It's where we hear Jesus. It's where it changes everything. And it changes everything everywhere. The ascension of Jesus affects the witness of Jesus in the earth through his representatives everywhere. To the ends of the earth. The glorious king would represent himself to the ends of the earth. We cannot afford to ignore this reality. 
I was watching a video of uh, the celebration of the Los Angeles Rams Super Bowl victory. And Matthew Stafford, the quarterback, was standing on the stage and there was a woman there, evidently with the media, who fell off of the stage in front of him. And his immediate response, you could see his lips move like, oh my gosh, just saw this, this was just horrible, and he turned away. And we point the finger, don't we? We lash out at him in social media about that. There are 7.9 billion people on this earth. 17,400 and something people groups. Among that 7.9 billion people, there are 5.5 million Christian workers. 75.9% of those 5.5 million Christian workers among the 7.9 million, 75.9% work among majority evangelical culture. 23.7% work in populations where there are more than 2% Christian. You ready? 0.37%. work among less than 2% Christian witness. Out of that 17,400 and something people groups, there are 7,000, almost 8,000 people groups without any representation of the gospel among them without any Christian witness. We hear that and we say, preacher, don't guilt me. I'm not trying to guilt you. But the next time you point your finger at Matthew Stafford for turning away to those realities, consider the power, the effect of the ascension. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So what do we do with that? April 14th, excuse me, April 4th, 2013, in Bangladesh, there was a garment factory where thousands of people were working an eight-story building. The owner of this business had been asked to get those people out of that, to shut the business down because there were tremendous fractures in the structure and it was a very dangerous place and he continued to call his people to work until on April 4, 2013, that building collapsed. Rescuers came in and rescued more than 2,400 people out of that rubble while many more lost their life. In the darkest cracks of the world, there is a much more impending doom. 
And Jesus says, the effect of my ascension is that you will be my witnesses those places. So how do we respond? We respond in the same way Jesus taught his disciples to respond here. You know what he's saying in verse 4? He's saying, he's not saying go back to Jerusalem. He's saying, would you guys quit leaving Jerusalem? You remember in John chapter 20 where Jesus finds his disciples fishing, right? He's saying, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait there for the promise of my Father. How do we respond to the ascension of Jesus? We press pause. That's what I say. You want to respond to the alarming fact that there are almost 8,000 people groups that have no witness of the gospel? I say, press pause. Why did he tell them to go back to Jerusalem? So that his ascension would detonate in their lives. That it would go off. That the power would affect their lives. You see, the mission of the church is not something we do. The mission of the church is what we are. Witnesses. Representatives of the king. Demonstrating his kingship to the ends of the earth. And you know, that's what happens. They go back to Jerusalem, they wait, and the penny drops. The power comes. There are people from the parts of the world who are there in Jerusalem, and there they preach the gospel, right? There they are witnesses. There thousands were added to their number. Later in chapter 8, they're persecuted. All these believers from Jerusalem go out. What are they doing? They're witnesses of their king. People are hearing about Jesus. Acts chapter 13, they send Paul and Barnabas out of Antioch. You see, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace and the Holy Spirit is spreading not because the church decided to do something, but because of the ascension of Jesus Christ, because Jesus would take everything that he has done and detonate it in the life of his people. You see, that song we sang earlier about being free and that quote that Adam gave earlier from Augustine about finding our rest until we find it in thee has a life of representation. Wherever he calls us to go. So we need to pause. We need to hear him speaking, his living and speaking and living, living towards us with his word. We need to meditate upon what he is speaking to us about his mercy and his grace, but also about his power and his resurrection and ascension. We need to see him reigning for us in his resurrection and ascension. Where do we do that except when we pause? and contemplate and worship and listen and gather together with his people and pray. That's where these things happen. Read the book of Acts. That's where it happens. 
So we humble ourselves. We're not world changers. We have a glorious message in earthen vessels. We're broken. So that people don't see us, but that the treasure that is within us, the treasure who is us in Jesus. And as we humble ourselves, we lift up our hearts to, to, as we view his mercies in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension for you, then you offer yourself, you present your heart to him. You say, Lord, here I am, do with me whatever you want to do with me. My wife and I tried to be involved in missions 33 years ago. Here we are almost 34 years later and God's given me an opportunity. I've been presenting myself all along the way. And here he's given me an opportunity. You lift up your heart to him and then you lay down your life in his authority. You give it away to your king. Stephen, a deacon in the church, was representing his king in the earth in Jerusalem. He's laying down his life before his king who he saw standing at the right hand of the throne of God in relationship to him in all of his power while men raged and came after him with stones to destroy his life. You remember his prayer? I give to you my spirit, Lord, and forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Where did that come from? It wasn't in Stephen. It's not in you and it's not in me. That's the ascended Jesus. That's the ascended Jesus. The mission of God is to spread the glory of his name, his kingship to the ends of the earth. And he has a church for his mission. To be his representatives. Demonstrating to the ends of the earth that he's king. Wait on him. Won't you pray with me? Oh Lord God, we would thank you this morning that you have made yourself known to us in your word. And now we would just ask you that you would plant this word deep in good soil, most Holy Spirit, in our hearts and lives. And protect us from the evil one stealing it out of our hearts. Protect us from the worries of this world robbing us of its beauty and glory. Protect us, O oh Lord, of our own trying to take it and do it ourselves. And when suffering comes, we would leave it for somebody else. Oh Lord, root it deep in our hearts that we might know the ascended Savior's power at work in our lives and demonstrate that to the ends of the earth for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.